Friends, it's fantasy football season, and fantasy football played the regular way. It kind of sucks. Let's be honest. It's not so great. Maybe you're two and five and having a really lousy season. I have had many lousy seasons in the past as well, and it's real difficult. But FanDuel's great. It's fantasy football for every fans, and there's no, everyday fans, and there's no busted seasons. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You want to play fantasy football? You jump in there. You could do a one week trial, whatever. You can get in for a contest. Starts at a buck. Super deep, duper easy, and it's easy to do. You go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use the promo code Jonah. It's great. You will totally dig it. Pick a contest. Choose your team. Watch your score real time. That's FanDuel.com. Sign up with the promo code Jonah. Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast presented by CBS Sports. Yes, we've got a tag at the end of our podcast now uh, because CBS Sports is wonderful and I am glad to be employed by them. Also, let's discuss on this podcast this week. It's Senator Sherrod Brown. Yes, that's right. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown. I think you know me by now and you have a sense that of my interests, I like sports, but I'm interested in lots of other stuff. Senator Brown is an impressive guy and there's a little bit of backstory here. His right-hand man, a guy named Matt Keyes, emailed me, I don't know, a few weeks, months ago, whatever, a long time ago and said, the senator is super interested in immaculate innings, which is innings in basically three strikes, three strikes, three strikes, and that's the end of the inning. Very, it's happened very, very seldom in baseball history. He wrote this big Facebook essay about it. Why don't you write about it or something? I said, no, I want to go to D.C. and I want to talk to the senator for a podcast. He said, okay, we could do that. And it was great. We talked about the Cleveland Indians, his beloved team. Uh, we talked about baseball in general and, and just his passion for it and all that. And then we talked about the opioid crisis, and we talked about wage stagnation, and we talked about the state of health care. And I always appreciate a politician, any person, who's in it for the greater good. And whatever your political proclivities are, and yours might be different than mine, that's fine. Here's a guy who wants to help. He says, listen, people's real wages have not gone up in 40 years. That's a big problem, and we need to fix that. And health care is a big problem. People need to feel like they can get sick and not have to just go broke and, and what have you. And uh very fascinating, a guy who really cares, and you could tell. It, it seems very genuine and uh, really good conversation. I wish we had longer. We got about 25 minutes or so, but it was it was really good. I want to give you a little backstory in addition to that. So the way that it works is there's a Senate office building, which is, you know, in downtown D.C., what have you. You go there, and then they kind of escort you underground. And you end up on this train. It's this little train. It looks like a kid's train or like a little Disneyland train. It's Tiny and adorable. It's got to be 70 years old. I don't know. It's so, it's the cutest thing ever. And so I snapped a bunch of pictures. I'll put one up on the uh, CBS Sports page so you can see it. And so it literally goes underground from this office building uh, right into the Capitol. So we did this in the recording studio in the Capitol. And, uh, you know, I'm a political nerd. I thought it was pretty cool to be able to sit in the Capitol and chat and, and whatever and uh, enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah, hopefully a conversation that you would find interesting and uh I like to talk about baseball, try to ask some more challenging questions as well, and, and really get into the issues uh, that I care about and the center cares about as well. So hope you enjoy all that stuff. Uh, speaking of CBS Sports, so you will find my stuff all over the place at CBS Sports videos, certainly uh, all over the website, and also lots of writing. Tuesday, I had a column up about the 10 greatest World Series of all time. I'm going to right now apologize in advance for not putting the 2001 World Series. In retrospect, it should have made my top 10. It was incredible. For a billion reasons, a walk-off in Game 7. Uh, you've got Derek Jeter becoming Mr. November, albeit briefly. 
you know, obviously 9-11 happened and then the first pitch afterwards. All, all these, there were just a bunch of things that went down and, and uh, it really was a great one and I got that a lot and I expected that feedback. I just was trying to also meld in 1912 and 1924 because baseball history is so rich and I love the old stuff. Uh, but I really hope you enjoy that piece. That's one of my favorite pieces I've probably done this year. And I'll be doing just day-to-day, night-to-night stuff, coverage of Dodgers, Astros, and the World Series. I'm talking to you from a hotel room in Los Angeles. You'll be able to check all of that out, and I hope that you enjoy my coverage. Uh, we're nearing the end of the season, friends. It means a lot to me if you've been able to ride along this whole time, and uh, thank you so much for your support. So here you go. Here is the latest episode of the Jonah Carey Podcast. It is with Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown. Enjoy. These are not interviews. These are conversations. So you hate baseball because this team that won 22 games in a row and 102 games is now eliminated. And, and we live our normal lives, and you have a serious by job the Yankees. by the Yankees. My email address is damn Yankees. Does that kind of tell you where I start? <laughs> and my, when I was a kid growing up in Mansfield, yeah. 60 miles away, yeah. and the interstate wasn't completed then. It was a while ago, and so it took us two, two and a half hours to get there. We'd watch. My dad and mom would take us, my brothers and me, too. Maybe six, seven games a year, often a Sunday doubleheader back when Sunday doubleheaders yeah. would last only five hours. And um, I never understood why my mother thought it wasn't that great a thing to get two games for the price of one. But anyway, <laughs> so I did not – my dad hated the Yankees so much. I never got to see the Yankees till I could drive myself or go with my friends because he didn't want Mickey Mantle to get 15 cents out of his ticket. <laughs> so I grew up hating the Yankees, and then look what happened this year. And it was just – it was a series of really bad things. I – did you – was last year crushing or were you like, wow, what a ride, what a great World well, Series. It was unfortunate, but I wouldn't have changed it for other um, than the re- ultimate result. Uh, well, when you're up 3-1, to one, it's pretty crushing. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but it was um, – because nobody expected Cleveland to be that good, including no. Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I go back to 95 from oh, 1954, yeah. and I was born – I was one year old then, 54 season – until well, until from 1959 to 1995, the Indians didn't ever win. They didn't finish second. They finished third once between 59 and in in 94. So understand where you start when they won in 95, and then they lost the only time Atlanta's actually won a World Series and maybe ever at least recently. Yep. Um, Atlanta it, it, losing Game Six and losing the series wasn't that much of a heartbreak because they got to go. And my dad, I took my dad in 95 and. My dad went to a – he was in his mid-80s then. He had been to a World Series every time Cleveland had played, 95, 54, 48. In 1920, when he had a picture of himself on the field earlier in the year at League Park with Tris Speaker. Holy cow! Cool. But anyway, so so I, when 95, we got over 97. Um, they blew the lead in the ninth inning, yes. I think, because the manager overmanaged. But I always learned – my dad, every every summer about July when the Indians were terrible – my dad would blame the manager, would say fire the manager. Yeah. So I always grew up believing it was not just manager's fault, but management's fault. It was never the players, never the worker. It was management's fault. 
So I've never been in love with the Indians manager, any of them, um, unless they win a World Series, then I will. But that still hasn't happened in yeah. my lifetime. That's, at least you have a baseball team that lives in, <laughs> yeah. this, is in this city now. Uh, I, want... I, I haven't met a, I must admit, I haven't met a lot of people like you that, who's your baseball team? Well, the Montreal Expos. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't know to the audience if I should let him know that the Expos don't play there anymore. I, I assume <laughs> you know that, but maybe you don't. You know, you, you did know this, right? They moved. I did. My one anecdote was 2003. I used to write for a paper called Investors Business Daily, and I was by far the most liberal person there by a factor of 10,000. The editorial page I know was investors did. Yeah, I know packed that. way right of any other newspaper, but great stock market advice, very analytical, cool, and I was like, okay. But they didn't pay you enough that you could invest, so it really didn't matter, did it? Well, you were a couple bucks, then I just threw a dart at Nextel in 1999 and made a couple hundred, whatever it was. But uh, I was, we used to do a, a feature called Leaders in Success. You could interview anybody that you wanted to. And I was like, and they assigned me George F. Will. I said, okay. I met at work, great baseball book, whatever. And I interviewed him. And I said, what, what baseball I would have picked Gary Carter or somebody in Montreal better than that. Or Andre Dawson. Oh, or of course. And I've done. Cromart, even Warren Cromarty, somebody. I, I know all those guys. I can't believe great. you blew it. But go ahead. Well, and they, they assigned me George F. Will. And I said, uh, hey, uh, who's your baseball team? Cubs. He goes, who's your baseball team? I said, Expos. He goes, oh, I've never met. One of you before, as if I was an alien. What it is it? Great. You are. It's the other country. The, in, in the other country. It is in the other country. Oh, so, did you ever go to Shibe Park? Did you ever go to the old Expos? Uh, Jerry Park. Jerry, Jerry Not Park. Quite Shibe old Park's enough. filled up. Uh, Jerry Park. I was born in 74 and they closed down in 76. Well, my, my brother went to a game. So, okay, it was that many years. My brother went to a game there yeah. when he was like in college and he said it got really foggy and they called the game. Is that, I don't know where and it sunny, is. And sunny, they used to have to stop the game for 20 minutes because the sun would come in on the first baseman's head. This was the worst design park ever. So, they built it in six months, basically. So one of the, one of the features of all baseball stadiums, you know, the term southpaw yeah. is because first base is supposed to be Chicago. the south of the stadium. Is this the South yeah. Sun? Yeah. So that's why the shit always shadow always comes out the same. Shy Park wasn't laid out, or I mean, but Jerry Park wasn't no. laid out that way. It was a municipal park that existed, and they had three thousand seats. And they're like, let's come up with a baseball stadium. It was all slapped out. So is this because? Why didn't I bring you my book? Is I this, is done this, this French baseball that you don't have to have the South Paw leaning towards the South? <laughs> Le Paw du Sud. I don't know. How yeah, which which is which is the answer? <laughs> speaking of that, yeah. Legrand. You remember Legrand? Legrand. Yeah, and course. he is the answer to more baseball trivia questions. I mean, he's because he had franchise records and a bunch of lousy. Franchise. He's, like Zellig. Yours, right? he's Zellig of baseball. Yeah. He absolutely is, aside from Satchel Page. Um, he's the what of baseball? The Zellig of oh, baseball. Oh, the Zellig of baseball. Yeah. I've never heard that. That's good. Is that French too, Zellig? Zellig is the Woody Allen movie. Oh, okay. I know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, know, but I really don't know. Yeah, what it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I'm going to explain it off my, the air. My frames of references are ridiculous. Uh, I'm a ridiculous human being. So you're a Cleveland fan. I have taken to not referring to them by their nickname. This is something that has become an issue. And you are a, a progressive senator, and this is not an easy conversation. And the organization, I don't think, knows what to do with it as well. Uh, where do you stand, and should yeah. we be doing anything about well, it? Well, it's not that hard a conversation for me. I wish they'd change the logo. Yeah. I mean, the Cleveland I, – I, the management says they are moving away from it, but there don't seem to be a lot of signs of that. But I, the Indians – I, I, back when um, when they got the new stadium, Progressive Field, it was yeah. called Jacobs Field. It was yes. called, I think it was called Gateway originally because that was the development to build the park. And then it was called Jacobs Field when the owner, who was getting all kinds of subsidies, gave some money back and they named the field after him. you got to love that. It's professional sports, right? Uh. <laughs> and then Progressive Insurance Company gave a lot of money, a good Cleveland company. But in those – I remember saying to the Indians at that time, um, why don't you change it to the Spiders? Because the Cleveland Spiders was a team Great of a hundred plus years ago, and you could have so think of the think of the marketing kids silver and black kids would love it. Oh, yeah. You could call the park the Spider Web. Yes, but 
then again, if, if you could find a rich guy named Spiderweb, you could name it after him, right? You could name it after so, S&P Futures. Yeah. They're called spiders. Yeah. I call them the Cleveland Lindors, by the way. Because why not? not who, who objects well, to that? the Indians was Sokolexis. You know, the Indians were named after a player named Sokolexis. The Brooklyn Robins used to be named after their manager. Yeah. Wilbur, uh, Wilbur, 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 Wilbur Robertson. Wilbur, yeah. Well, they were the Naps, the Cleveland Naps, too. Yeah, the Nap after Nap Lajoie. Nap yeah. Lajoie, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So Cleveland Lindors, that's pretty cool. Thank you. You know, if you had said that louder, Lindor might have had a better playoff and they might have beat the Yankees. It's so frustrating. He had one good swing in that playoff, and you got to love that player. He's so great. He's And he's so infectious, and I love the joy, but it's just baseball is such a small sample size sport that it's like you, you get down, you play 162, you get down to best of whatever, and yeah. guy has a bad week, and that's the end of it. You touched on stadium subsidies. As far as sports goes, well, maybe the NCAA stuff might make me angrier, but this might be number two because – if you are liberal, you would say, well, money should be put to schools or roads or literally anybody else. And if you are conservative, you would say, what a boondoggle. What a waste of taxpayer money. Why would we do this? How are we still in this system where literally 100% of the political spectrum well, should part, disagree with this part, thing? Part, part, well, I think a lot of people agree with you. I, part, partly, I think, they the, the city fathers and mothers, yes. it's usually the city fathers because they make most of these decisions, yeah. Um, regrettably so. I think they've convinced the public of the economic development side of this. Um, when studies show that people have X number of dollars for entertainment, discretionary dollars, and if they don't spend it in a stadium watching overpaid athletes with billionaire owners, they will spend it um, bowling or going out to eat. I mean, it, it, so I, I, I don't really buy the economic development stuff, um, but I think that enough of the country does. And, and, you know, if you're the mayor, I mean, I, I remember what happened when the Browns left. Yeah. And it really did. It, you know, it hurt the downtown restaurants. It did all that. Mm. Um, it may not have had the economic impact that some like to say, but it, it was pretty crushing. And you don't want to be the mayor when your team leaves. Well, that's it. And I you think want to be the mayor to, to track the team. I mean, Senator Corker from Tennessee. Yes. Got credit. Um, I don't I think he was de- development director then, not mayor of Chattanooga. I'm not sure of that. But he got some of the credit, may have helped his political career for the um, the team, the Houston Oilers. Was that yeah, Tennessee to Titans, yeah, Tennessee Titans, yeah. yeah. So um, it's a it's a feather in the cap of any anybody that wants to talk about feathers in their cap. Speaking of the Indians, bringing that back around, well, to the, well to the done. Cleveland Lindors. Well done, sir. Uh, so I have several questions, and one of them is about Senator Corker. So let's go for it. Uh, he talked, to, he made some pretty strident comments recently uh, directed toward the president. And his critics were saying, well, he's not seeking re-election. Of course he gets to say what he wants. Are we really in this situation where you can't speak your mind or truth to power or whatever if you are about – unless you are about to leave? I mean, is that where we're at? It, well, it feels I, very cynical to think there's that. There's not a lot of courage on the Republican side now, putting it mildly. I, um, some years ago, Barney Frank, uh, a rather um, – Outspoken, he sure is. Was. House member from it still is. Mm-hmm. He's not dead. He just left Congress. Yeah. But yes. I know you people talk about past tense that way. But you people, anyway, tall people, you, is what you you're people, saying. yeah, yes. you tall people <laughs> in the media. Uh, Barney was talking about a, a right wing House member named Michelle Bachman from Minnesota. Sure. And Barney Frank said half the Republican conference thinks like Michelle Bachman. The other are afraid of a primary from somebody who thinks like Michelle Bachman. And um, it's 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 gotten worse than that. Barney was right. But the rest of the story is there are three billionaire families, uh, the Koch brothers, the Mercers, and Sheldon Adelson in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Koch brothers are New York and Wichita. The Sheldon Adelson's Nevada, and the Mercers are like everywhere. I don't know. I think Milwaukee. I'm not sure where they're yeah. from, but it doesn't really matter. 
But they, um, they're the reason the Republicans keep trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act because the billionaires that fund Senate races, and there's three families, and they are three families that will punish any Republican that speaks out on climate change. A Republican Party 10 years ago was pretty open on climate change. They admitted it. They, they acknowledged it. They knew that human beings caused a big part of it. Um, now they are climate deniers almost fully as a party. Yeah. Um, it's because of the money in their campaigns. And so I think that when I think that Republican senators and House members don't speak out, even though they know better about this president, I hear I hear an amazing amount of grumbling among Senate Republicans about Trump in many ways. Um, but they they aren't willing to speak out because they're afraid of their base and they aren't willing to speak out also because they're getting they hope to get a tax cut for rich people. They they are getting their ultra conservative judges nominated. They're getting their weaker environmental laws. They're getting their um, attacks on labor, all the things that the Republican political special interest agenda wants, what Wall Street wants, what drug companies want, what what the, the their big contributors want. They're getting and that's why they keep. Keep standing there. I'm going to guess that your underwear drawer, it's not in good shape. I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that and we're all the same, right? You, you just have old crappy undies from a long time ago. And you want to look good in your underwear and you want to be comfortable, but finding those two things at the same time is difficult. Ah, but it isn't anymore because you can go to MeUndies.com and find the best pair of underwear in the world. It is fantastic. Very soft fabric, very eco-friendly, really, really comfortable. They have sent me samples. It's comfy. I dig it. MeUndies, excellent. 100% satisfaction guarantee. They guarantee you will love your undies or your money back. And get this. Right now, MeUndies has an exclusive offer for listeners of the John Kerry Podcast. You can get 20% off of your first pair for plus free shipping. MeUndies is so sure you will love your underwear. It's a 100% satisfaction guarantee as well. You order a pair. If you don't love your first pair, just get a refund, full refund. No-brainer here. 20% off, free shipping, 100% satisfaction guarantee. Got to make it happen. Here's what you do. You go to MeUndies.com slash JKP, as in Jonah Carey Podcast, and you will get the 20% off your first pair. Free shipping and the 100% satisfaction guarantee. That's MeUndies, M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash JKP. Get into it. I cannot tell you how much better a made-to-measure suit fits than a generic off-the-rack suit. And if that's the case, you want that. You want a better fit for your suit. Even if you're just young and starting out and it's hard to afford a suit, you go with Indochino. That's the way to go. I've used Indochino. I've been to their showroom. It's absolutely excellent. They fit you up. Get your sizes, get your measurements, and they start your customizations. How do you want your lapels to be? What do you want your jacket lining to look like? They take care of everything. They're so, so good, and it's so, so easy, and it's wonderful to use. And the thing about Indochino is it is inexpensive, too. So, yes, you're thinking, wow, suit, am I going to pay a grand or whatever? That's No, nothing like that. 359 bucks. That's what we're talking about. If you are a listener to the Jonah Carey Podcast, you get Indochino's best deal ever, $359 for any premium suit when you're through the promo code Jonah during checkout. That's it. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping is free. It's great. And you get – it's very easy to do. Here's how you do it. You go to Indochino.com. It's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Enter the promo code Jonah, and you get any premium suit for $359 with free shipping. That's it. $359 free shipping. Indochino.com. Promo code Jonah. It's an incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than any off-the-rack suit ever could. Jonah. It's fantasy football season, which typically means – 
heartbreak, frustration. Fantasy football can be very irritating. You get all kinds of ridiculous bounces, and you end up one and six or two and five, and your season is over, and blah. FanDuel is the solution to those problems. It's fantasy football for everyday fans. It's new contest starting every week with no busted season, so it doesn't matter if you did poorly last week. You jump right back into it this week, and you get contest starting at $1 a buck. That's what it costs. Pick a contest, choose your team, watch your score real-time. More than 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. So don't wait. You can sign up today by going to FanDuel.com. You click the Join Now button and enter the promo code Jonah. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with more than $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. You visit FanDuel.com and sign up with the promo code Jonah. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Promo code Jonah. Thank you to FanDuel for sponsoring the podcast. But what's interesting, too, is, and this became a a topic of conversation, uh, President Obama has given lucrative speeches. Obviously, this became a a cudgel used against Hillary Clinton was, but you're doing the same thing. You're courting billionaires or whatever. And this became something that was written about a bunch recently, too, where... This is these are the rules by which we play. Unless there's actual campaign finance reform, what choice do you have? Small donors are lovely. They're fantastic. But if you are a Democrat seeking election, you have to play that game, too. Is there a way to get out of it? Is there a way to avoid the optics of it? Well, first of all, that's a false equivalency. I mean, we don't don't have a party where a handful of billionaires has wields such immense influence. We don't we don't I mean we we have a guy named George Soros who is a billionaire. Yes. But George Soros doesn't drop tens of millions of dollars. He controls the world, haven't you heard right? I've heard that. I've yes, heard that yes. from yeah from from yeah. Um that's number one. So second, um I, I my campaign in 2012, I, more money was spent against me than any Senate race in the country, fifty nine million dollars. We raised a lot of money in thousand and two thousand dollar contributions, but we also the last month of the campaign we raised $90,000 every day for 30 straight days, averaging $27 a day. Wow. So that was two, almost $3 million. So yeah. um, I, I'm not saying my average contributions overall that, but we, we, we do a lot it's of very terrible. aggressive. With As a progressive, I, I think that's my duty, and it's what we do pretty well, I think. Um, but again, it's, it's and, and we're the ones arguing for campaign finance reform. I mean, I, I think this – uh, it's a it's a business oriented Supreme Court. It's not so much a Republican Supreme Court. It's that to be sure. Yeah. But it's a Supreme Court that um, is controlled by corporate corporate interest and companies that outsource jobs. And those um, that Supreme Court has said uh, the Citizens United case and all that came out of it. And uh, the Republican majority, also controlled by large corporate interests, has no interest in in weakening um, those advantage and taking away those advantages they now have. I really uh, got a lot out of your white paper that you wrote about the value of work. I thought it was really interesting. And uh, it raises a bunch of different questions. You know, you talk about wage stagnation, fewer benefits, wage theft, all kinds of problems. Uh, But what's interesting, and I'm a Canadian, so this is all outsider stuff to me. I moved here 20 years ago. And anti-union sentiment seems to be pervasive. It seems to be everywhere. And it's not even just necessarily a right-left thing. It's just become, oh, unions are not a factor. And 40 years ago and 50 years ago, they're a big factor. So I guess the question I would ask is how can the country overcome all the anti-union efforts that have drafted, drastically abu- like eliminated almost the ability to negotiate for better rights, to negotiate against all of those things? Is it government that now has to step in to play the role of unions or can unions be resuscitated? Well, I, I think the answer is yes and yes. I okay. mean, go- government stepping in like um, at the end of the Obama administration a year before it left office, they – um, they, by rule, updated a law Congress had passed on overtime where 130,000 Ohioans working at 
you know, they, they well, I'll make it quick, but they yeah. 130,000 Ohioans got a significant raise because of that that updated law. And the way it worked is this. If you are if you're a night manager at a fast food restaurant, you're making thirty five thousand a year. The company can call you management and can work you 60 hours and you don't get paid anything between 41 and 60 other than the negotiate other than the salary you Mm -hmm. had. So it's a way of and and this basically said for people in that category, they should get paid time and a half. So government can do things like that. We also need to do things to make unions to level the playing field because it's it's awfully hard to win a union election, even though in a number of polls over the last few years, um, Something like half the country would like the opportunity to join a union because yeah. we we know what's happened since the seventies. Uh, productivity, well, uh, corporates, uh, executive compensations up, profits are up, uh, stock markets up, uh, productivity of workers is way up. And until the, particularly since until the seventies, but even into the nineties, workers' wages sort of track their productivity. If you were a productive worker, if your company's workforce was productive. You shared in the wealth you yeah. create. Um, that's because there were unions. And now that's been broken so that corporate salary, executive compensations way up, profits are way up, workers' wages are stagnant. My, I, I think, ironically, probably Trump carried my state more than anything because workers, the broad middle, middle in Ohio has not had a raise. They're working, people are working harder than they ever have for less than they were, for less than they ever have. And government has a role to fix it. We're seeing no help out of the White House or out of Republican leadership because they're continuing their anti-labor, kind of anti-middle class. This tax cut that they're talking about will be more trickle-down economics, more tax breaks for the richest people in the country. And um, the middle class, the broad middle class and working families will get little or nothing. And some some people believe it will actually go up. Their, their taxes will actually go up. And then – I guess part of it would be, you know, the devil's advocate argument would be this was steel. This was coal. These were manufacturing industries. This is where you could get a job, not necessarily have gone to Harvard and have 62 MBAs and make it work and make a good living. And if those manufacturing jobs go away, you talk about the value of work and all this stuff. And this is where the opposition comes from. But if the lay of the land has changed, can this work? Can people make a decent wage if they're not incredibly privileged to go to an Ivy League school if they don't land in that kind of thing, if those industries don't, I don't say they don't exist, but they've gone way down in terms of sure, the power. Sure, they can. I, and granted, obviously, the, the there aren't as many auto workers. There aren't yeah. as many steel workers. Um, the, the workers are more and more productive. Uh, there's a plant in Cleveland, um, 10 miles from where my wife and I live. There's two plants I'll mention. One is the is a, a plant that made this suit I wear, good union labor. I'm not paid a whole lot of money because that's an industry where people don't pay much. There's also a steel plant about five miles from that plant. Um, first time in, in world history where, where uh, one person hour made one ton of steel. So workers are more productive. There's higher investment. There are fewer workers making more steel there than there were. I, I get that. But workers also don't have a say in the workplace. They, mm. they don't have they don't have an ability at a hospital often to um, I was at a high school, my high school union in Mansfield. I sat across from a woman who's worked for 30 years as a bank teller. 30 years and she's making 30,000 a year and her expenses are higher. She's got to dress up. She's got to get her clothes dry clean. I mean, all those things. And she doesn't have a union. She doesn't have a voice. This is a respected bank. It's the one of the biggest five banks in the, in the country. And she doesn't share and she creates wealth for this company, this country, and doesn't have a way of, of making them share a little more from their huge executive compensation. Ten years ago, you sponsored a Medicare, Medicare for all bill. 
And I guess the fundamental question becomes the ACA went a long way. Mm-hmm. Now it's being knocked out at the knees and this is happening. What needs to happen to get us to truly universal health care? Yeah, you could move to back to Montreal. Yeah, I know I can. Way. That could be one way. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, our first goal and all of us, uh, I think every Democratic center um, and our two independents, Bernie and, and Angus King, believe the first first goal, first our first responsibility is to stop them from repealing the Affordable Care Act. Yes. They will continue to try because their billionaire contributors want them to. Um, second, uh, while some think we immediately go to the afford to, to um, Medicare for all, uh, what I want to see us do is is move in that direction. I think the transition is so difficult to go directly into the into Medicare for all that um, my legislation, which I've worked on for some time, put yeah. it aside during the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we almost had it as part of the Affordable Care Act, and that is to give people the freedom at the age of 55 to buy into Medicare. Um, and I'm open to allowing anybody that wants to a public option sort of thing to buy into Medicare um, to have the freedom to do that. That that will bring us eventually to a system where where everybody's covered, um, where we have Medicare for all. I think it's the best way to get there. Got three more. One is about the opioid crisis. This is the one of maybe the great crisis of our time. It mm-hmm. is devastating, especially in Ohio. The effects mm-hmm. have been far reaching and very, very difficult. At a time when you have the federal government, again, knocking planks out, specifically, it seems, gutting programs that would benefit people who are suffering from opioid addiction, what on earth do you do when every branch of government is controlled by the Republicans when you're trying to affect change on a local basis? Well, I think you need to continue to shine a light as shows like this help do. I mean, you you shine a light on on their efforts. I mean, we stopped, even though it looked inevitable that the that the ACA would be repealed. If you had asked me 10 months, eight months ago, I would have said it's going to be repealed because every Republicans promised it. And we defeated it because 200,000 families in Ohio who are getting opioid treatment right now um, would lose their, because of the Affordable Care Act, would lose it. And a lot of them spoke out. And a lot of families that have a child Mm. with preexisting condition that couldn't get insurance until 2011, they spoke out. So um, I think it's shining a light on it and continuing to make democracy work. It doesn't work every time that way, but it, it does a number of times. And everybody knows the president's trying to sabotage the Affordable Care Act, and uh, we keep fighting back. Okay, so I've got one more 20-second question then because uh, uh, Jenny is being – she's doing her job well. Um, so I ask at the end of every podcast for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom. I meet you in a bar. I meet you in a Senate office. I meet you wherever. And I say, I'm Jonah. This is my deal. And you say this is your deal, and it could be something super serious, or it could be something that's just a little superstition you have, or it could be something with your kids, or as a sports fan, or as a senator, or whatever you want to do. Same answer as a bar as it is the Senate office. Absolutely. You tell me. What are you all about? What is your one thing? And Um, it could be something totally – somebody talked to me about how they tie their shoes. They said, that that is my life force. It's how I tie my Uh, shoes. I I think it's raising your children to see that the world is bigger than they are, and Mm. my two daughters and our our. Second marriage for Connie, me, our four children all do something with low-income kids or immigrants or uh, teaching math teachers at a university in St. Croix mm-hmm. um, or um, or holding elective office and fighting for people that don't have a voice. So um, that's what probably makes me proudest. I like it. And Connie's thing that she said about uh, if you're trying to date and you can find out somebody's voting record, that, yeah. is, that yeah. is literally the best thing I've ever heard in my life. So she's amazing. <laughs> I will pass it on. Thank you so much, Senator. Sure. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks.